Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, and you may be seated. Yeah, I'll do it right now. Um, I just got a quick, uh, um, a quick question about whether uh, or not the this dinner discussion series is on this Thursday. The dinner discussion series is on this Thursday. Nothing is different. I'll be away, but the series will continue on. All of the lovely hosts and helpers and volunteers will be here um, and will be. Um, uh, and we'll be uh, running the series in my absence, and everything will continue as usual. So this is uh, week three in our series about victory. The first week we uh, we just uh, was like a, a quick introduction. Last week we were talking about how victory is absolutely essential. Um, sometimes we think that oh, like really good Christians are victorious, or the saints they are victorious, or uh, like. Some of the saints, we call them the, the struggle, mantled, martyr, St. George or St. Moses. They are victorious. But me, I don't know. Like the verdict isn't out yet whether I'm going to be victorious or not. So we talked all last week about how victory is absolutely essential. And overcoming um, is absolutely essential. And God wants victory for all of us, for you and for me. And the problem with that message is that... If you're anything like me, you have moments of great victory, but you also have some moments of defeat. And there are times where you win battles and you're really happy and, and uh, you, know, you celebrate those things, but there are other times when things don't go your way. Maybe those are things in the past for you, or maybe there are things in the present. Either way, um, either way, today's talk is very much for you and for me. The bigger problem... The bigger problem than the fact that we all have some struggles, which by the way, St. Paul, like this whole theme of victory comes out of his struggles. He says, yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. And the first week I asked everyone to go home and their homework was to think about what are all of these things. For St. Paul, he says, persecution, famine, nakedness, sword, imprisonment, you know, being in peril of death and so on. And I was saying maybe some of those things are relevant to you, maybe they're not. But what are the things that are relevant to you and to keep your eye on those things? Because it's those things that threaten my attitude, my perspective, my lifestyle of victory. I want to tell you, ever since I started reading about victory in scripture, I became addicted to it. I became like an addict to it. Like if I, what's an addiction? It's like something which gives you immediate gratification. And if you stay away from it for too long, you go into withdrawal, you know, right? So like I would start to like shake and go googly eyed and so on, right? If I don't, I need, I need to see victory. I need to see victory in my own life, in the lives of others and so on. People commonly come and ask me, so how are things going at church, Abuna? And before I have a chance to say anything, they say, I know the service is difficult. I was commenting about this in the, liter in the, in the liturgical sermon upstairs, right? And saying, my answer to people has been, and it's, and it's really the truth, either I see fruit amongst us, uh, more people coming to God and repenting and coming to God from all their hearts and lives truly being changed, no joke. Or I see God allows me to see change in people's lives where the fruit may be not visible outwardly, but it is an inward fruit. I see people who have been struggling to be more patient, more kind, more loving, 
a more thoughtful, more selfless, growing in those virtues. Um, and that gives me great joy. Or I see that in myself. But there is always victory to be found. Now, I might be becoming a more patient person because God hasn't solved the problem I want Him to solve, right? So maybe there is something in my life in which I wish to see victory and I'm not seeing it, but other aspects of my life or the lives of others whom I love or my community, I will find victory there. The trouble with waiting on God is this, is there's a verse in Proverbs that says, that a promise unfulfilled makes the heart sick. Even scripture, God is saying, God himself is saying, that mean, God knows, God knows that when he gives us a promise and it remains unfulfilled, it makes our heart sick. God knows that. And yet, he still waits to do things in the timing he sees fit. So in the meantime, what can I do to keep my heart from getting sick? And the simple answer that I have experienced, I'm just speaking to today from my own personal spiritual journey and from, 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 of course, which is supported from scripture and liturgical texts and the sayings of our fathers and so on and all of this. But really, I'm just speaking to you heart to heart here. I'm just sitting at a, at a table having coffee with you today. Today's not a, a talk, a formal talk with three points and two sub points for each one and homework for you to have. Today is just me and you sitting at a, at a table at a coffee shop and talking about what are we going to do about this fact that God promises and he delivers on his own time, which is often, let us say almost always, not my time. What are we going to do about this? And it makes our hearts sick. And God knows. What are we going to do about this? What does Abraham do? God promises him when he's 75 years old to have descendants like the sand of the seashore. And he's thinking about that he's going to have to give his inheritance to his, you know, like uh, his like right hand man who's not, you know, of his progeny. He's not his son or daughter. Or it's just a guy who works for him. You know, but they've worked together for so long. He loves them so much, but he's just his employee. His employee is going to inherit him. He's praying about this. God says, I'm going to give you descendants like the sand of the seashore. Don't you worry. 13 years past, 11 years pass. 11 years pass. Nothing. Sarah says, well, you know, maybe you should take, my, take my, my, my servant girl, Hagar, you know. Yeah, you know, I'm not able to bring up, you know, children for you. Maybe she can and whatever. He'll be your son. He waited 11 years. And then, you know, basically Sarah is saying, look, rookie mistake. God made a rookie mistake. He's obviously got good intentions. He overpromised and underdelivered. Right? Good people do that. Not bad people, but just good people who aren't able to give an adequate estimate of their capabilities, right? I'll say, I, I, do this, I do this once a week. I say I want to meet three people and I triple book myself on the same day. Not because I'm busy, because I'm stupid, right? And I have another day which is completely wide open, but my appetite 
for being with people and loving people is, is greater than my ability to schedule or my capacity or, or my schedule, scheduling or whatever, right? God did the same thing Sarah tells Abraham. She didn't use these words exactly, but she says he overpromised and underdelivered. Rookie mistake. He needs to do a marketing class, right? So, here. So he, she goes into Hagar, has Ishmael, and this and that. 11 years later, 24 years after the first promise, God comes back to him and tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham goes, newsflash God, he's 13 years old, right? He says, no, 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 not, not, not a son from Sarah. Abraham says, uh, uh, I don't know God, maybe like, um, so there's this thing called biology and ovaries, and when they're 90 years old, you know, I don't know, and you know, like the male reproductive system at nine, age 99, you know, I don't know how well that's going to go. And God says, Psh, don't worry about it. You're, a year from now, you're going to have Isaac and you're going to rejoice. Right? 24 years he waited. Does that make the heart sick? Well, you have two options. One option is just to t say, well, maybe God doesn't exist. Maybe he went on holiday. Maybe he forgot about me. Right? One option is to lose faith. The other one is to hold on and say, no, no, God is faithful. God is good. He just hasn't been good to me yet. That's pretty painful too. <laughs> right? One is to lose faith. And honestly, honestly, when I meet people who don't believe in God, and I ask them, have you ever believed in God? The overwhelming majority of them tell me, yes. And the overwhelming majority of them tell me that they believed in God deeply. And over the course of time, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, we stumble upon a time when they were disappointed in God. And I tell you the truth, I think the person who chooses not to believe in a God who is cruel or vindictive or has the ability to help and chooses not to because of their whim or their pettiness and decides, I prefer not to believe in that God and not to believe in any God rather than to believe in a God who doesn't care, I actually think that's a noble thing. They refuse to slander God and prefer to just say he doesn't exist. I actually think that's a pretty noble thing. But we don't want to go down that path. I mean, if you want to, you, power to you. But, but uh, for me, I, you know, and for the, the church, we, we, we would like to remain faithful in believing that there is a God who cares, who is able, and who is working all things together for good for us. But on the other hand, he hasn't delivered. What do we do in this time? I'll tell you my secret. If you read the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua is really exciting for the first 10 chapters. Then chapter 11 and chapter 12 have to do with the... They're like a catalog of conquests, right? They're just a catalog of conquests. The, fir the first 10 chapters are really exciting. It's full of war and blood and guts and, and God doing great things and God 
working miracles and the sun stands still and like this is the stuff that like like if Hollywood exploited this they could do like Lord of the Rings parts 1 through 10 you know there's tons of great stories in there right of God delivering his people saving his people being victorious for his people and then you get to chapter um, chapter 11 which um, uh, is is uh, one more story of victory. And then chapter 12 is just a list. It's just a list of the conquests of Moses and followed by the conquests of Joshua. The conquests of Moses were this many. Three. The conquests of Joshua were 30. 30 victories in 11 years. One defeat. Only one defeat. 30 victories. That means he was going, fighting a new war every four months, on average. Well, you know, 30 divided by 11, I don't know, you do the math, right? Is the fraction of each year that there would, he was going from one war to the next to the next and winning every single one of them. The secret for me is Joshua 12. Before this Bible fell apart um, that I've had for many years, Mary got it rebound for me. On the, on the back two pages here of the cover, it's not here anymore because it got rebound, but in the old cover, I had two pieces of paper that I had taped here. And a friend of mine in college taught me to do this, to write the date and then write the problem in one or three words at the most, right? Keep it short. And then... Read the Bible and look for a promise that God is giving you that he will be victorious on your behalf. And then wait. And you may wait 24 years. May, may it be shorter for you than it was for Abraham. Right? And then when God is victorious for you, write the date. And if you find a verse of praise to praise God with, write that next to the new date. What happens? If you're diligent in doing this, if I'm diligent in doing this, I end up with my own catalog of victories, my own personal catalog of victories here. You can do it electronically if that suits you and you know you, you want to start like a little Google's, Google Drive spreadsheet or something that you have access to on your phone. or I don't know. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. But what you will realize what you will realize, what I realized when I started to do that, is that God is victorious in his own time, in ways that I don't understand, that I'm, that I'm unable to judge. And can I tell you the truth? When I started to do that, when that advice was given to me by a friend in college, and I started to do it, to write my own version of Joshua 12, can I tell you something? I was actually surprised. I was actually surprised that God was victorious for me. I confess. And you know what's funny is that God promises us and his promises are rife throughout scripture. At the very beginning of Joshua, the book of Joshua, God promises Joshua, he tells him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That promise is not just for Joshua. That promise is for you. That promise is for me. That promise is for everyone and anyone 
who decides to start their own Joshua 12 at the back of their, of their Bible or wherever you want to keep it. That promise is for you. Write that promise at the very top of your catalog. Joshua 1.9 No man shall be, or woman, or whoever, nothing will be able to stand before you. When the bishop who ordained me, ordained me, he looked at me, and he told me, you know, you were ordained to bring the gospel and to bring orthodoxy to Canadians. I said, yes. And he took me by the shoulders and he said to me, let every place that the sole of your foot falls on be yours to inherit forever. Who was he quoting? He was quoting God, speaking to Abraham. And he was speaking, he was quoting God, revisiting his promise later to the children of Israel. The Bible is rife with these promises. Rife with these promises to help us. I just want to share a couple of them, just a couple of them with you. One of them is the one we sang today. I remember studying for an exam during college, uh, in college, and being bewildered by the material and have not, having not enough time to study and so on. And like I was mentioning when we were learning the song, I just had bought a new CD, so I just popped it into my, yes, I went to college at the time, we used CD players. Yes, for those of you, the, the new generation, there was these things, these circular things, they were called compact discs, right? And we put them in a machine and it made music, you know, right? Um, so it was, yes, it was like a hard thing, you know, that like, I know, it's strange, it's very weird, right? Who uses CDs anymore? I guess some people still do, but a lot of people don't even know what they are anymore. So anyhow, I had, gotten, I had downloaded a new album off iTunes, right? And here I was listening to, listening to it while I was studying, and this song came up. And I realized at that moment, I have a choice. I either believe these words... I either believe these words that are said by King David multiple times. 2 Samuel 22 is a, a place where King David takes all of his songs of victory and he puts them all together and call it the Song of Deliverance of David. You'll find it there, but you'll find it multiple, at least two times in the Psalms. He says this after, he says this after um, being victorious over Goliath. I have the choice to believe that Goliath is going to get me or I have a choice to believe that these words are true. That's what I realized in that moment. So I picked up the phone and called my, my really good friend who used to teach me how to play guitar and stuff at the time. And he taught me how to play this song on the phone. Um, like he told me what the chords were and stuff. And I, uh, every time I would break, take a break from studying, I would sing this song. Until now, until now, I don't remember even what class I was studying for, but I remember that I did amazing. This is to say that the problem that I'm in today will soon disappear. Jesus tells us that. He tells us that a, a woman, when she is in child labor, is in agony. But as soon as the child is born, forgets all her suffering for the, for the, child, for the joy of the child that has been born. I don't remember the details of what I was studying for, what I remember that it was really hard and I was going to give up hope. And because of God's promise, I didn't. 
There's another, there's another verse which gives me so much hope, also in Proverbs, that says, go ahead and prepare for the conflict, but victory comes from the Lord. I want to tell you something. Especially when you're struggling with something in your, in your, in your personal life, something like a, like a behavior or a, a habit or an attitude that you really wish to change, Right? And you feel really guilty or you feel really bad because of this. I want to tell you something. That in a moment, in a snap of a finger, God is able to change everything. Because the victory comes from Him. It's just as true for like, like physical things. Your boss who's harassing you or you're unemployed, you're looking for a job or or whatever it may be, it's just as true for those things. But when I have a sense of guilt, when I feel like I'm contributing to my own failure, it can be particularly painful. I want to tell you something. God, one of the reasons, I don't know why God does the things He does, and I'm not going to pretend to tell you as if I understand God and I've got Him all figured out, right? But one of the reasons why God allows us to struggle sometimes is because the faithful struggle proves your faith to God. Not that God doesn't know. Like, why did God tell Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac? Why did he test Abraham? Because God didn't know what Abraham would do? Of course not. Of course God knew what Abraham would do. But if, if God hadn't done that, we wouldn't be singing Abraham's praises till now. So God allowed Abraham to go through that grueling horrible experience for the sake of glorifying him for a multitude of generations afterwards. And until now, we praise Abraham. The fact is this, God doesn't want to enjoy his glory alone. He wants to enjoy his glory and the glory of his victory with you. But God is also the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. So he can't share his victory with you or with me for no good reason. Like he would know he's lying and you would know he's lying. And that would just, just that, that's just the, the opposite of his character. So he gives us opportunity to struggle. And in our struggle... In our struggle, remaining faithful, that, that is what God glorifies. That's what we glorify about Abraham. That Abraham believed in God. He believed in Him so much, St. Paul says in Hebrews, that if he were to offer his only begotten son on the mountain and, and kill him, that God would bring him back from the dead. Because God told him, from Isaac you will have you will have descendants as the sand of the sea. So Isaac can't die. Or if he dies, he can't stay dead. Or he's got to live long enough to have progeny. Because that's what God's promises. So St. Paul comments and says that Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead in the Old Testament, long before Jesus' resurrection, that he who gave him Isaac from his body, which was as good as dead, would be able to raise up for him his son from the dead. St. Paul says in Hebrews 11, talking about faith. So, all this struggle, all this struggle 
reveals your faith and mine. St. Peter talks about that as a refining fire. We take, God takes you and puts you, allows you to go in the fire. In the fire, what emerges? Pure as gold. Your faith. Your stubborn, persistent desire to hold on to God when everything around you and everyone around you is telling you you have no good reason to. And that is worth glorifying. And that is what God wants to glorify. And that is what God wants to crown you and crown me with. Finish. We'll fin- I'll finish with this thought. Moses. I have two other long Old Testament stories to share, but we'll finish with this. Moses, as the people of Israel have crossed through the desert for 40 years and they've disobeyed God and they've hated on God and they've done all kinds of bad things to God the story ends the the story ends with this Moses is standing in front of them and he says to them let me remind you of the law that God gave you in the desert because since they left Egypt a generation has come and gone And so not everybody has heard the law in all of its fullness. So the book of Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law. God says through, or Moses says to the people of Israel, as he's telling them before they enter the promised land, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now here's the irony. Here's the irony. The book of Deuteronomy is happening at the same time as the last three chapters of the book of Numbers. The book of uh, um, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers are all about the people of Israel going wandering 40 years through the desert. But the last three chapters, we kind of zoom out from the people of Israel as they are on the hillside before they go down to cross the Jordan. And Moses is, gonna, is, is, is starting to do the book of Deuteronomy. He's starting to retell the law. And we zoom out from there. And we go to the, to the palace of the king of Moab. Because they're trespassing in the land of Moab right now. And the king of Moab goes to a prophet whose name is Balaam. And he goes to Balaam and he tells him, curse these people for me. I'll pay you. I'll give you. Everything, all the gold that you can see in my house. I will give you this and this and that. Balaam says something. Says something really beautiful. He says, I can say no more about them than the word that the Lord, their God, puts in my mouth. Balaam is a pagan prophet. He's not uh, like one of the people of God. He is a pagan prophet. And he knows that he is unable to do anything more or less to these people than what God wants to do for them. So the king of Moab says, shut up with your religious stuff. My soldiers will take you up on the mountain. They will let you see all the people. They're like ants everywhere, right? 
Go there and curse them. So he goes up the mountain and he prays and he blesses them. And he goes back down. The king of Moab is all angry with him. He does it three times. And then there's a fourth time with a story of a donkey and all of this and other very interesting things that happen in the story. But the irony of it all is this. Moses is telling the people, don't be afraid. Cross over the Jordan. Go into the land that has been promised for you. Because the Lord your God, He is the one who goes before you to give you victory. To give you deliverance. The word victory in the Old Testament, I try to find a different word for it. There's only one word that it comes up again and again and again and again. It's real, the real meaning of the word is to be saved from danger. Very different from the New Testament word to overcome, which means to overcome, to win, to, to jump over a hurdle, to, to uh, wrestle with someone and to beat them. Right? They're very different. One is to be saved. The other one is to overcome. We'll talk about that maybe later in the series if there's time. But the irony of it all is this. Moses is telling them, don't be afraid to cross over the Jordan, to go into the promised land. God himself goes before you to give you victory. At the same time, God is the one who is protecting them from this pagan prophet and this king who wishes to destroy them. And they are completely oblivious. Completely oblivious. So... In my own life, in my own life, I will find things going my way and I will find things that are not going my way. I can look at the things that are going my way and I can praise God for them. And I can look at things that are not going my way and I can turn to God and I can tell Him, Lord, maybe this, maybe I'm still in the desert and I haven't crossed over into the promised land yet. Maybe you haven't revealed your will yet. But how many other things, Lord, have you rescued me from of which I am completely oblivious? All praise and glory and honor be to you, Lord, for your deliverance, rescuing us day by day in each thing. And Lord, give us the patience. Give us, give us Lord, the faith to hold on to you even when it seems hard, even when I'm worried. That soon, Lord, my heart may become sick. Please, Lord, give me to hold on to you forever. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Quick announcement that next week, Sunday I will be here, but um, there won't be a Sunday series because um, I, I have to run to a wedding like immediately after the liturgy. So, But there will be liturgy. Everything will be the same um, uh, as usual, minus the series itself. Thursday, the dinner discussion series is on. Everything is normal. I won't be here, but you all will be here, and it will be great and fantastic, and I'll hear all about it. God bless you. Shall we pray? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, Lord Jesus Christ, we are so indebted to you, Lord, for your love and your kindness, for being a God who covers us in our weakness, Lord. Lord, you know that, that my heart may become sick if I wait any longer. Lord, you know that I can't wait forever, Lord. Please, Lord, renew our hope in, your, in you and in your promises. Renew, Lord, our hope in your victory. Give us, Lord, certainty that our victory is assured. So many, so many times, Lord, you say it to us in Scripture. But Lord, I need to hear it from you. I need to discover these verses myself, not to hear them from someone else, 
but to discover them from your own very mouth. Please, Lord, speak to me and speak to my heart, Lord, in your words, in scripture, in my day-to-day -day life, Lord, assuring me of the victory, Lord, that you have prepared for me. Give me to, Lord, to live in your victory all day, every day, Lord, in the faith of your victory. If it's here and now, then I rejoice in it. And if it's still coming down the pipeline, I can rejoice in it and re rejoice in you in the meantime. In the intercessions and prayers of all your saints, the prayers of all my beloved brothers and sisters, hear us, Lord, as we pray to you, our Father who art in heaven. Now the love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, the gift and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace and may the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.